This is episode 15 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2011. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And we both just got back from the O'Reilly Open Source Software Convention 2011, and right? boy, are our arms tired. <laughs> your, your arms are tired? That, that, that doesn't even kidding. work because I didn't say fly, I said. I know. <laughs> I know. But I am just really tired, so well, forgive I, me if I'm a little loopy. I slept 12 hours, so I'm That's fine. awesome. But yeah, I was not by accident. I didn't mean to do that. So I got back in the wee hours last night slash this morning. Well, I had the early flight, which was the many attendees going to New York City flight. It, it, I, I'm so morbid because I was sitting on the plane thinking, if this plane crashes and everybody dies, there'll be an LWN story because there's so many people from the OSCON on this flight. Because I was there and Monty Videnas of MySQL was on it and Aaron Williamson was on it and people from Wikimedia Foundation were on it. And- yeah. And two other random OSCON attendees, not random, but they were two other attendees, non-speaker attendees. I'm glad it didn't crash. Yeah, well, it would have been. But it would have been like the day the music died. It would have been a story. We, we, I, when I got off the plane, I asked everybody, and we all decided that Monty's name would be first. Founder of MySQL. That's probably true. Developer of MyRDB. And then the and rest. And then you. And then the, we'd be end the rest crap. What would be this end the rest crap? I don't know if you would have been end the rest. I think that... Well, yes, they would have just said Monty and the rest. They would, but his name, he <laughs> would have all. gotten the top bill. He would have got top billing of uh, if if the plane crashed. But that's very morbid of me to think about. But I couldn't help that you're up in a tin can above the country, and you think about crashing. I don't. You don't generally. No. Really? Oh, I always. Once in a long while, I do. But anyway, um, it was a well, fun conference. It's more likely you're gonna die in a car crash than a plane crash. Well, not not for us. Not for us, but since we're not very often in cars. Correct, but the point is that the cab ride for if you well, we we took public transit, but were you to take a cab from the airport uh, to your hotel, that's the more dangerous trip. Generally speaking, I don't know that it works that way. Well, right, I, statistically speaking, if you're only taking, I guess that's true. It's too short, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, nobody died in plane crashes that we're aware of. Hooray. <laughs> However, you were the talk of OSCON. I don't know if I was the talk of OSCON. I was talking about you at OSCON. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a pretty big OSCON for me, though. That's correct because you are the winner and uh, a winner. Uh, a winner. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to do the mystery science thing, like the, the, the they say when it says still photographer, they say the winner and still photographer. Oh. I to say. <laughs> um, you were the you were one of the winners of the O'Reilly Open Source Award for 2011. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty weird. Why pretty is that fun. weird? I don't, I just was kind of weird because you know I it's hard to think of oneself as deserving of an award. You know, it's like it's just kind of a weird thing. It's it's cool because I could think of plenty of people who would be um, in my mind just so deserving of the award that. I wrote a blog post about that. Actually. Oh, you did. That's I mean, I, right I mean, you mentioned it in my blog post. Well, you're you're linked to in my blog post. <laughs> oh well, thank you. I'll link I'll link in the show notes the blog post that I haven't read at the time of recording, which I feel bad about. Uh, <laughs> but I have not read that blog post. But I'll link. I'm I will now, read it. I'm now I a blogger. <laughs> yeah, I know you did launch it. But you want to tell people about where uh, they can yeah, see the blog because because this is the first time you would have mentioned it on the show because I think you just started it 
relatively recently, right? Yeah, I did. Because, you know, I've been reluctant to blog generally. I think it's not really... Blogging and lawyering are not necessarily very natural to each other. Although there are lawyers that blog. Well, there's and the, think, the Mark Radcliffe blog. Yes, but there are other, lots of other lawyers have blogs. I mean, James Bazile has one. Aaron Williamson has one. Yeah, but they have Evan personal Moglin blogs. Has one. Personal blogs about not necessarily about their work. Right, but but they often do talk about some of the, some work related things as well. And I I don't know. For me, I just never it never really made a lot of sense. I think maybe because I just I get very nervous about you know sort of talking to the world. But your primary role is not as a lawyer anymore. It's as executive director of the Gnome Foundation. And therefore, I absolutely have to have a blog um, because I have to tell people about what I'm doing. So my um, my new blog is blogs.gnome.org slash gnomg, G-N-O-M-G. <laughs> so uh, we'll link to that in the show notes so you don't have to read it out. Have you Have you checked to see if that domain's available? You could just redirect it. Maybe. We should Which, check for you. GNOMG may be available. We should check at some point to see if it's available because uh, you could get it just doing a redirector. So then it would be easier to read off on Oddcast. Although now that That's really true. We've read it off on the Oddcast. So. Uh, but we'll see later if uh, it turns out it's available. And then you could be, uh, you could be something you could read off more quite. See, the problem is I keep talking because Karen's actually searching to see if the domain name's available. I can't help and, myself. Uh, events are happening in real time. Because she's looking in real time to see if it's available. See, that .org looks like it's available. So .org is available, yeah. yeah. So we'll have to... Actually, you're going to have to register when we finish recording this. So that nobody hearing this registers too it out from to you. True. And a, a, a small thank you to... Uh, or a thank you to Michael Dexter, who is the first person who had said GNOMG to me. <laughs> oh, he suggested it. Okay. No, he uh, he said that to me when I told him that uh, about my new job. Oh, I see. I see. So yeah. that became the phrase. So, yes, and uh, Michael Dexter was there. In fact, I, uh, he kindly let me stay for two nights uh, at his uh, his apartment, which was, uh, well, it's an apartment attached to his house. So I had an apartment to myself, which was very nice of him. Uh, so he nice. let me stay there. And uh, so I stayed there two nights, and then I wanted to be closer to the conference because I didn't want to have to commute into the conference when the main conference started. So I moved to a hotel, which I shared a hotel room with another listener, Richard Fontana, who also spoke at the event. So I was sharing space with our listeners throughout the uh, event. It was very much a um, an old SFLC reunion weekend because Richard Fontana was there. Except you and I. It wasn't mostly a weekend. Or I mean, I don't mean re- weekend. weekend. I meant I meant week. It wasn't really a full week either. Well, it was for me. Um, but uh, event, let's just say. Okay. Um, because you and I were there. We're both former SFLCers, and Richard Fontana was there. And Jim Garrison was there, who's also a former. Yeah, Jim Garrison's uh, working with Ian Sullivan on a, a project called Wikiotics, mm-hmm. which is a, a learning platform uh, for cool. languages. And they had a booth, and yeah, so there was lots of lots of people there, uh, listeners and other folks that we know. And we did record a number of talks, and I think uh, we we I think over. <laughs> We apologize for being a little bit lazy, although somebody gave us, uh, actually, I don't know if you were around uh, when they gave this feedback and said that they would like us to have more guests because just two people talking. I think you were there when the, I was somebody there. suggested it. I think Dave Neary suggested it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So. Uh, we're just con- we're just announcing people right and left on this show. Normally, we ask people if they mind us referring to them. But Well, it was a public place and a public event, so. <laughs> 
So, and a good suggestion. So. Yeah. So, uh, so well, one of the things, I think having guests is more difficult for us now that we're recording again in Karen's apartment. So having guests is a little bit more difficult than it had been uh, on the old show. However, uh, having talks from folks, I think, uh, works out pretty well. And you get to hear other people's voices and what they're up to. And the good thing about my talk that we're going to have this time is that it's really short. Well, I don't think that's a good <laughs> thing about it. I would have loved to have her hear a full 40-minute session uh, on the issues you talked about. You know, I really would love to have the opportunity to talk a, f a full period of time because basically I, I only had time to set up the issue and not really explore it. Yeah, I mean, but but also some of the keynotes were just pitches for people's 40-minute talks later in the day, which I thought was silly. I I'm glad you just tried to cover exactly what the issues were and give people a straight-up introduction. Well, I didn't have the opportunity. I mean, you know, I, could, I, I didn't have 40 minutes to talk about the topic. So, and, and my, my talk was on the last day. So, you know, and my, my regular session talk was the day before. So I couldn't really do that anyway. But it's, I don't know, it's such an opportunity to talk to so many people at once. Mm -hmm. I was really excited to, to you know... Although it was hard to think about what to talk about because um, because 15 minutes is really a short period of time. Yeah, although that's become the uh, O'Reilly Oscon tradition, uh, and I think you use that slot very well. So why don't we listen now uh, to Karen? This was a keynote given on the Friday of Oscon uh, by Karen uh, about various issues you've probably heard her talk about on the show before, but she's really put them together in a nice uh, short package that can really introduce them, and uh, and we'll link to. I'll, I'll, I'll violate my usually my usual rule of linking to YouTube and link to the YouTube video. Well, just actually, for Karen. some of the the, the setup is old issues but the ultimate point is new from yes, me correct yeah, yeah correct but uh we'll even link to the youtube video if you want to see karen delivering it but we're going to put the audio right in here oh so yeah if you want to watch it instead of listening to it you can do that instead yeah, and you could skip and i'll have the time indices in the show notes if you want to skip it and you'd rather just watch the whole thing well there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, yes and we'll have the slides up with the show notes and correct. that's fine but if you wanted to watch the video they include the slides Right. And so, so you'll have lots of options if you want to look at this point. If you are sitting at a, a desk rather than out and about, uh, you can go and look at the show notes and see what your options are to listen to the next piece. But those of you, uh, listening, uh, while walking around or whatever, uh, you'll hear now Karen's talk. And we'll talk to you in a bit. Hi everyone, I'm here to talk about freedom, from my heart to the desktop. I've always wanted to say this at, at OSCON, I am a cyborg lawyer running on proprietary software. <laughs> I'm a cyborg lawyer, fear me. <laughs> um, I, uh, until about a month ago, I was a lawyer at the um, Software Freedom Law Center, and I found out a few years ago that I, I have a heart condition. Um, I, I have a very big heart. Um, Actually, <laughs> I have a huge heart. Um, I have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which means I have an enlarged and obstructed heart. And everything's fine about that. I don't have any symptoms. I can do everything. It's just that I can, um, I'm at a very high risk of suddenly dying. So um, the, the issue with that <laughs> is that I can't think about running to catch a bus without worrying about the fact that I might keel over. Um, and, and that was a, a very stressful thing to find out. Um, I went to the doctors and they told me about this and they you know, prescribed medication, but then they also told me that I needed a, um, an implanted defibrillator. And basically, if I got a pacemaker defibrillator, 
I would know that if I had a problem, if I if I killed over it, the, the actual medical term is sudden death. So <laughs> if I went into sudden death, I would be shocked. It would be like people following me around with paddles, and uh, and I would be revived. And it's great. I wouldn't have to rely on all of those external defibrillators that you might need to locate in the case somebody has a heart attack a few blocks away. And it's good because it's me, and I don't want to have to rely on somebody else using their phone to find an um, external defibrillator. Um, but the problems with that. You know, when I started thinking about getting it, were you know, were really personal. You know, aside from the mortality, I, I wasn't sure if I was ready to become a cyborg. Um, there were a lot of identity issues in becoming a cyborg, um, and I, I didn't know if I was ready for it. And um, just the idea of getting something put inside your body and screwed into your heart is is a lot to kind of take in and deal with. So. Um, The more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, I really need this device, and being a cyborg wouldn't be so bad. I could be a cyborg for good. So I decided that um, that I couldn't wait any longer because um, my family and friends were freaking out every time we would go for a walk. They would look at me and they'd say, "Are you okay? Is something going to happen? Are you okay?" Um, and I I I didn't want to have to put them through that, and I didn't want to put myself through that. Um, so I decided that to really seriously think about getting the device. But there was one problem. I was a lawyer at the Software Freedom Law Center, so when my electrophysiologist slid the um, the device across the table at me, well, not the device I actually got, uh, one that they showed to patients, slid it across the table to me and said, "Look how great it is! It's small, it's compact, it's really not that big of a deal." I said, "Great. What does it run?" <laughs> and he looked at me like I was mad. My mother looked at me like I was mad. <laughs> Everyone in the room just sort of kind of stopped and said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, what kind of software is on it? Who's checking it? How does it work? Can you can you tell me? I'd love to see the source code." We brought in the <laughs> we brought in the medical device reps from all the different companies, you know, from from the two companies that happened to have people in, on site, and uh, they they totally had never fielded this question before. <laughs> they got a little nervous, <laughs> um, and 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 in the end. That office had no answers for me, so I went and I um, I called all three of the major uh, pacemaker defibrillator manufacturers, and I asked each of them, you know, can I see the source code for these devices? I need one. I'm going to put it in my body. Can can I look at it? Why don't I? Why don't you know? Just just send me the source code and I'll take a look and I'll feel more comfortable about putting something, you know, connecting it to my heart if I know that I can review it and see how it works. Of course, that went nowhere. <laughs> I, I, I called them all. They weren't just weren't equipped to handle the question. They 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 didn't really know what to say.、Um, I, I even offered to sign an NDA.、Um, I, I asked as much as I could, and in the end of the day, I, I knew I I just I just needed to get the device because. Every day that I didn't get it, I I could just die, and that's a really scary position to be in. So, I got the device, and I vowed that when I went back to the Software Freedom Law Center, that we would begin looking into this issue. So I did a whole lot of research. I、um, you know I I, I put in all these、uh, Freedom of Information Act requests with the Food and Drug Administration, which、uh, still have not been answered. And this was、uh, I think two years ago. Uh, we're still waiting.、Uh, it's really hard to find information about this stuff, but I read a lot of studies, and、um, and some of the things I found would surprise you, and some of them would not. Like software has bugs. The Software Engineering Institute estimates that every 100 lines of code introduces one bug. 
So for any typical device, think about how many lines of code there are and how many bugs are typically introduced. Even if you catch most of them, that's still some bugs. It was a little nauseating because as you're researching into medical devices and you have one, you read about all the ways that they fail. It's, it's just really stressful He, reading about people dying because of the devices that they have in their body that they're using to count on for life-saving therapy is just, you know, it, it's just an awful thing. So I kept putting it down and coming back and putting it down and coming back. And, uh, and, and, and this study um, had done the same thing, and they aggregated all this information, and, and they said, found that when they looked at all of the um, Food and, um, Food and Drug Administration recalls that were identified as software failures, Um, of the ones that they could actually see what had gone wrong and, and really evaluate it, they estimated that about 98% of them um, could have been prevented with simple all-pairs testing, which means testing for multiple conditions. It's really basic kind of testing that any computer scientist would probably do. And that really just astounded me. So I, I, I took a look into, okay, well, you know, these devices are reviewed by the Food and Drug Administration. I would take a look and see what they were doing about this problem. But what I found out is what they're not doing. The FDA does not typically review source code of these devices. So it turns out that they only look at the source code if there is an actual, if they already get a sense that there's a problem. What they rely on are reports written by the companies themselves about their own software. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We're still they don't actually say what the reports actually need to be about. There are no really fixed requirements. And the idea behind that is that, you know, each device is different, and the FDA is worried that if they, you know, set up a, a list of strict requirements, they might miss something. And that because the device manufacturers are the ones who are actually, you know, who are most familiar with the device, they understand what are the particular tests that need to be done. But that also means that there are no mandatory requ- I mean, there are some ideas that they say that they need to follow, but no actual concrete requirements. And then what scared me the most <laughs> was that because the FDA is not reviewing the source code, they're not requesting it. So they're not receiving copies of the source code. They're only receiving these reports. So they don't have a repository with the source code in it, which means that the source code is only wherever the company has decided it can be, which could be just at that company. As a lawyer, I looked into, okay, well, what, what does that mean? And it turns out that because the FDA is a federal agency and because of the way the, pre- the approval process works, that there's actually a, a set of case law that says that patients can't sue, they're preempted from suing under state tort law. So even given the fact that the FDA isn't even looking at any of this stuff, if there's failure, there's a whole um, realm of remedies that aren't even accessible to, um, to patients, which is really just terrifying. So it comes down to, I don't have freedom in my own body. I can't see the source code that's connected to my heart. It's just not a right result. And in fact, it's the worst of both worlds. So there's um, proprietary closed code on the one hand, and on the other hand, these devices have wireless components to them. They're broadcasting, and there's no real security on those broadcasts. They have been hacked into. There's a think tank that was able to um, use just regular equipment, nothing special, talk to these devices, have them deliver unwanted shocks, have them um, prevented from delivering therapy, and perhaps even worse, run into test mode, which no one would ever detect, which runs down the battery. And these devices are only as good as their battery life. As soon as the battery is dead, the device is dead, and you need to go through surgery to get a new one. 
So really scary stuff, actually. What I learned from this, and I thought that free and open source software was cool and really important before, but after going through this, I know that it's, it's essential. I want my heart to be free and open. I want the software in my body to be you know, reviewable by everyone. I want to be able to look at it. I want my parents to be able to look at it. I want my friends to be able to look at it. I want academics to look at it. I want everybody in this room to look at it. I want the medical device competitors to look at it, to find flaws in each other's software. That is what I want. <laughs> I want, if there's a problem, I want to be able to, um, to have fixes patched. I want to have uh, patches applied quickly. And I don't want to rely on just Medtronic. I don't want to rely on one company for something as essential as my heart. And I think it's really not a quick leap to say that all of our life and society critical functionality should be the same way. It's not just my heart. It's the cars that we're driving, that we're relying on to get us safely from point A to point B. It's our voting machines. It's our financial markets. It's anything that's critical and essential to who we are and how we conduct our lives together. But we're in such a funny time, because what is life and society critical has really blurred. The way we use computers has really changed. And I think this is not a newsflash to anybody in this room. About 10 years ago, we were the ones who were using computers, and we were helping our, our relatives to, to kind of you know, use it, just, you know, use it to, to word process and things like that. But now everybody and their mother, father, brother, great uncle are all using software for everything, for every part of their daily lives. They expect it. They expect to use it for all sorts of things. It's about how they communicate with each other, how we create. It's basically, we use it for every part of our lives. And people who had been uncertain with computers nearly five years ago now are on Facebook all of the time. They're using their smartphones. It's just a part of their lives. And their expectations about what they use about it have changed. They expect to be able to use things right away, or it's broken. It's not good. If you can't use it right away, if it's not simple, if it's not clear, if it's not easy to use, it's, it's a real problem. Which brings me to the desktop. So I, about a month ago, as I said, I left the Software Freedom Law Center and I became executive director of the GNOME Foundation. Um, which was a, a really interesting change for me, but I came right after GNOME 3 was released. And isn't it pretty? I mean, it's so pretty. I showed this to my mother. And she said, oh, when did, when did Apple have a redesign? <laughs> it's, you know, and I told her, of course, that it's far better, it's magical, it's revolutionary. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> um, and it's free. So, um, you know, I, I, I basically showed this to her, and she said, this is something that I can use. And basically what the GNOME team did was they, they gave the desktop a complete rethink, and they focused on what ordinary users need how they use their computers, you know, what, what they're going to use it for. And they dispensed with a lot of things that were built in for, you know, maybe for people like us sometimes, but so that everybody can use it. Because you know what? Everybody has to use it. We use software for everything. We use it to call cabs. We're using it to monitor our diets. You know, um, what astounds me is that um, people are using um, software on their phones to monitor their diets and their exercise. And uh, there's now software that can interact with implanted insulin pumps so that you can monitor your blood sugar. Astounding stuff, but you see where I'm going. It all comes back to my heart. It's all about the same thing. Where we use society and life critical software is now everywhere. We don't know what is going to be important. We don't know what our lives are going to depend on. So we need to choose free and open platforms. We need to choose freedom because I don't want to rely on one company for any part of my life. 
I don't want to rely on Medtronic for my heart, and I don't want to rely on any other company for any other thing. I want everybody to be able to see the source code, and I especially want to see the source code. <laughs> um, so we're at a crossroad. At a crossroads, and it's it's time to change. And I think seeing all of the Macs in the room, when you close them and go to your next session, just think about what kind of software you want for your families and for your children. Think about how we want our lives to be run, and let's start building on only free and open source software and open platforms. Let's just make sure that all of the software that we use is free and open, so that we're not in the situation where we're relying on proprietary software, closed source code for things that we count on for our lives. So, use GNOME 3. Donate to nonprofits because they're a heart of free and open source software. Become a friend of GNOME, and thank you very much. So I was in the audience while you gave that talk. It was really amazing, and I hope everybody else gets a flavor of that when they hear it or listen to it or watch it, whatever they just did, uh, because I think it was really the uh, the it was the big thing of Ozcon, in my view. Your, your your the fact you got the award and then gave that keynote. It was really a big event, I think. Well, I actually thought that it was really um, it was really cool of O'Reilly that it was it was sort of like a, a nod by O'Reilly and the Ozcon organizers towards freedom. Um, just by choosing me as an award recipient and allowing me the chance to speak was, I thought, just really cool.、Um, when they asked me to speak, they actually didn't give me any、uh, limitations on my topic. And one of the things they listed as a possibility was merely software freedom, which and and worded like that, software freedom, which I just thought was so cool. Well, that obviously surprises me. You're making it difficult for me to dislike O'Reilly, as I usually do. <laughs> the fact that they did that, and and that's that's actually, of course, is a very good thing. I have to would have to give them credit for that. I'm usually constantly saying how much I dislike O'Reilly. So I was、uh, I was joking beforehand that all I was going to do is run up on stage and shout freedom. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, because you followed you followed Fitz's talk, right? Which he ended with with a slide that sort of led right into yours. Well, it was、right? funny. Well, no, I mean he had a slide. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was a slide that said something like.、Um, Like being open,、um, or open is is not a question. Open is not a question of morality. And I was joking with him. I said, "Well, I'm saying it is a question of morality." <laughs> well, although that we could have the usual open source software freedom debate. Maybe maybe open source is not about morality, and software freedom is. Yeah,、um, <laughs> and if listeners are interested,、um, one of the talks that we recorded is one that Aaron and I gave, which was an introduction to legal topics, which is really more like a relaxed discussion about. Um, the basic, really, the the legal questions that people ask over and over again about free and open source software,、um, and in it, I ha we talk about free versus open as terminology. Uh, I mean, I won't bore you again with it here because we've talked about it a lot. It's true. So we did、uh, try to record a number of the talks、uh, that happened at Ozcon,、uh, and I always try to do that,、uh, especially now that we have the Ogcast. Obviously, hearing one of the talks in the Ogcast is not the same as being there, but 
I know that I spent a lot of time when I was uh, younger in grad school trying to get to free software conferences, and they were only free software conferences then. It was before the term open source was even coined. Uh, blah, and, blah, blah. Uh, well, no, but I, I, I spent time <laughs> uh, sleeping in the car. We would sleep in cars the last night to save money on one night of hotel and all these other things that we would do because we really wanted to go to the conferences, and, and uh, we used to do four to a hotel room. Uh, at those uh, at those times, I'm doing still doing two. As we mentioned in the first segment, I'm still doing uh, two to a hotel room sometime. As were you, <laughs> in some cases, trying to save money for our nonprofit organizations. Yeah. But uh, I I I I know that uh, there's a real desire to go to these conferences, and I know that some folks can't possibly make it to them. So hopefully, they can get a flavor up by hearing the talks. Yeah, and the one the one that we just played. Uh, so my talk is uh, was posted by O'Reilly on YouTube. Um, as I said, the video, but only the keynotes were really posted by them. So the other talks that we recorded are not available elsewhere. Right. And there's a certain amount of ephemeral nature to conferences. I've said this before. I, I mentioned it with regard to the conference we're about to go to, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but uh, it, 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 trying to save them from being completely ephemeral that, oh, the people who were there got something out of it, but nobody else did really. Uh, I, to the extent to which we can prevent that from happening and make it a valuable thing to people who just listen to our podcast, for example, I, I, I'm glad that we're able to do that. Uh, the audio is not great on all of them. We're going to ask Method Dan to do his magic uh, on them. I, I did the, the, kindly the sound guy at some of them let me plug into his board. And actually, it was because it was the first time I'd ever done that, plugged into the board and tried to record something that it didn't. It just came out there was sound level issues uh, that I probably could have fixed if I knew what I was doing, but I'm not a sound person. Uh, so I, I, I had some trouble. Uh, and it'll sort of uh, fill in the time when it's going to be difficult for Karen and I to record because we're both about to go to this uh, desktop summit, which is really your big conference of the year now in your new position. It is, and you are on one of the key panels, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm moderating a panel on copyright assignment, and uh, Bradley is one of the speakers. Uh, he's uh, on the panel along with Mark Shuttleworth and Michael Meeks, which uh, is amazing because all three of them have been um, extremely outspoken about copyright assignment recently. And uh, it should be it should be really fun. Yeah, I don't know whether it's going to be enjoyable or or disturbing or what, <laughs> but uh, I, I I'm no, I'm I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a difficult thing because of the of the amount of rancor in the community about this issue now. So I'm 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 not fully looking forward to it myself because I feel like I, I I've been pitched against Mark Shuttleworth on this issue. Although the well, I've, I don't think actually on the the way that the panel's described, you're sort of in the middle. I know, but the fact of the matter is that I'm not because it goes back to him trying to say FSF's copyright assignments are the same as canonicals, which they aren't. And that's, well, that's hope, something I hope we can touch on in the panel. I I will be agnostic on the the panel as much as I possibly. Can. Can on the issue, but you know, you do we do the podcast together? Aren't you gonna you know, secretly favor me or anything? I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my one hope. Although I'm still laying even money that Mark Shuttleworth doesn't show up. In fact, up. it might backfire against you actually because I might be harder on you in order not to seem soft on you. Uh -huh. um, but I don't know. I mean, people don't show up for panels all the time anyway. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I hope he can make it, but. Yeah, he's. I, I even missed a panel once that I was supposed to be on because I was sick and there was snow and. Yeah, I understand that, but Mark Shuttleworth has a bit of a history of committing things and not showing up. So I'm, I'm sort of, sort of still laying even money if folks want to oh, take bets. Oh, but to get back to sort of my my keynote and and segueing to the mm -hmm. desktop summit, um, for um, 
so the end of my speech was sort of where the, the main point of the speech was showing how GNOME and the desktop generally and, and, and all kinds of UI are so important to free software and, and its adoption in our society generally. And so if you listeners think of anything that, because um, I really would love to develop this talk into a much, you know, I, this is new because I, I've just moved from SFLC to GNOME. So these are issues that I'm just starting to think about in deeper ways. If you can think of things like, for instance, in my talk, I, I, I mentioned the um, implantable insulin pumps and the software for phones that monitors diet and, um, and exercise and, and the, the interaction between the two. Um, if you think of things that are, are good examples of that, uh, let me know, just because uh, I, I think the, I found that this has really resonated. I, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback about my talk, and, um, and I've been really excited about that. But what's really struck me is the way people who have no, no prior understanding of software have really just taken to it. So um, I, I think this might be a way to get people to really care. So I, I'd like to build that out. Yeah, I, I think I think. Well, you say you want to develop into a full forty-minute talk, mm -hmm. which is great. I, I think I think you did such a wonderful job. So many of the keynotes uh, that I not so many, but there were a number of keynotes uh, this year that were basically just marketing talks for a forty-minute talk that was happening later. And I've seen that before at OzCon. I think. That's sort of a corruption of the OzCon model that they've wanted. Not corruption, it's not the right word, but sort of a, a misuse of what OzCon has done. They believe in this 15-minute keynote thing as a way to really introduce uh, a number of issues uh, to a big audience across many speakers. And I think you use that format really well. In fact, when I was denting about it, I will link to my Identica comments on it in the show notes. I, uh, I, a lot of times when I was, I was live denting a lot of the talks at OzCon as, as my Danica followers probably saw. And it, sometimes I would just rephrase or paraphrase what the speaker was saying. In your case, most of, I think, I think all the dents I did were OzCon, Kaz, colon, quote, and whatever you said, unquote, because a lot of the statements you said just by themselves were so good and so well spoken. And it, it was just, I just wanted to say exactly what you were saying. Thanks. It was hard. It's hard to pack so much into such a short period of time. So you kind of have to get either, get really into the rhetoric or you're you're lost well but so. yeah i think it was well prepared and had had a lot of those good uh good you know, pithy statements about the topics you were talking about in there that really came across well well this is what we talk about all the time so i get a lot of practice just talking about it with uh with everyone because it's you know it's what we're thinking about and what we care about so I, I hope folks will enjoy the next few shows. Karen and I will be away at the Desktop Summit. If you're at the Desktop Summit, you should uh, say hello. Karen will be hard to miss, given that she's Executive <laughs> Director of the GNOME Foundation, and the conference is half about GNOME, uh, half about KDE, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'll be there. I'll be on the panel. I'll otherwise just be a normal attendee beyond that. Uh, that's the only the only talk I'm giving is the actual panel. Uh, but I'll be around, uh, being mostly having my FSF uh, hat on, as it were, because I'll be representing the FSF uh, in its uh, in my role for the FSF on the GNOME Advisory Board. But if you have conservancy stuff to ask me about, you should always come up. Uh, many people felt uh, that way, but at OzCon and came up to me and asked me both about FSF and conservancy. So I hope uh, folks will do that. And Karen's obviously always willing to talk about GNOME uh, as she did at OzCon and will at Desktop Summit. And I can talk about GNOME, I can talk about SFLC, I can talk about Conservancy, I can talk about this OGCAST. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, so uh, enjoy the next few weeks of, uh, or next few shows even, of, uh, of, of speeches from OzCon. And uh, I'll, I, we haven't decided if we're going to try to record a desktop summer or not. We'll think about it. I think it might mm -hmm. be difficult to do. So we'll, we'll think about it. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, you'll hopefully enjoy the next few shows uh, where we talk about, where we have talks. And, and I, I hope it gives you a sense of what going to these conferences is like. Uh, because I, I, I know I used to love to go to them when I could barely afford them. And, and for the, 
and, and wished I was going when I couldn't afford them. So I, I hope, uh, hope to give some of that to everybody. Great. And we'll, uh, we'll be back soon. Not soon, uh, but later. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfBakedMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Freeze and Freedom is licensed under their Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to Oddcast at faif.us. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And we both just got back from the O'Reilly Open Source Software Wait, actually, Convention. Actually, let's start again. Let's, actually, I didn't let's turn start again. My AC. Well, we don't have to turn off the AC. Yeah, we do, because you get always really upset with me when we have. I'm not getting upset. You're trying to save this for a funny outro. Yeah, of course. <laughs>